0: Hello everyone, you are very welcome back to Girl Squad The Squadcast episode number 2. In this episode we will look at the topic of relationships, patterns and behaviours. This was requested over on the Girl Squad Instagram page. If you're not following the handle is at girl squad underscore I or E and thank you if you're already following and this is where you heard us. The topic that we're going to be talking about, as I said, is relationship patterns and it's a a hugely vast area so I couldn't possibly look at every area of relationships so I've just narrowed it down to some hot points or hot topics within the area of relationships. And just a little disclaimer, I'm not coming at this from a professional perspective in the sense that I'm a professional relationship expert because... That I am not. I just work as a therapist. So the work that I do with people is based on relationship. So that's the angle that I'm coming from. And over the years in my job and the trainings that I've done, I've done a lot of trainings in how people relate and how the mind works and different neurons in our brain that fire when we meet somebody that we have a connection with. So I just happen to have some information on how people relate and the psychology of relationships and that's the angle that I'm coming from. So I'm not an expert and I just wanted to put that little disclaimer in there um, for people before we start. There are many topics um, and there's so much research around relationships and how we relate and one of, the, one, one of the things that I would like to start with is what draws us to people and how we how we relate from the very beginning of our lives so when we're in in the womb we are already relating to our mother who's carrying us so if our mother is anxious we're going to feel that anxiety if our mother is really happy we're going to get those hormones through the umbilical cord if you know so it's like the environment that our mother is in that's the environment that we're in. We're marinating in that when we're in the womb, and it's not to scare people to say, oh, if you were anxious when you were pregnant, your child is going to be an anxious baby. That's not the way it works. You know, there are obviously there are a lot of articles and there's a lot of research around. There's more research kind of emerging in recent past around how the womb affects how a baby is going to be in their life, and that's true. But the good thing is that there's so much more information available now and people are more aware of how they are when they're pregnant. So things like smoking and stuff like that and taking alcohol, most parents know that that's not going to be healthy for their babies. And again, it's not to judge anybody. I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to open a discussion and give some tips on relationships. So yeah, the womb is the first place that we learn how to relate. So we're getting all these cues from our mom when she's maybe rubbing her belly or if we're kicking back and she feels that and she, you know, you often see moms tapping their belly and the baby will react to that rhythm. So you're in communication since you're in the womb. And this communication is continued when you're born. So we do this thing called mirroring. So when babies are born, we, as well as parents people look at their child and they mirror what the baby is doing and the baby mirrors what the mom is doing. So I'm sure everybody that has children knows what that is like to look at your baby and coo and ah and the baby does it back. So babies are constantly looking for things repeated back to them. They're constantly looking for mirrors. So we mirror back to our children and they mirror to us. And this is all part of the relationship. And then when we get a little bit older and we start to walk and talk, we may go to creche and we start to become part of bigger systems. So the family is the first system that we're born into. And then we become part of maybe a creche or we become part of a school when we're older. And then we become part of a work environment. So we're constantly evolving and we're constantly relating to all of the time. How we relate determine is determined very much by how we are in relationship with our parents when we're younger. So going back to the mirror neurons, so if you if your parent smiles at you, your mom smiles when she has you in your arms, you're going to smile back. And there's actually a really, really useful YouTube video and it's called the Still Face Experiment. So people might want to Google that, and it just shows how a baby is constantly looking for those cues when they're when they're young and how the main caregivers are mirroring that back and in that particular episode ep- that YouTube video, this baby is not getting the response that he wants from his mother, and he gets very distressed very quickly um so it just kind of shows how important that is when babies are young that they're constantly in communication. With their caregivers around them. And then that evolves into how we relate. So when we're a little bit older then. We might start to go out to the world. So in school is usually where we start finding solid relationships. So we might become part of a clique or a gang. And you know we might start having play dates and going to people's houses. And our parents might become friends then. Um, so this is all how we're building, building our relationship patterns when we're younger and it's like a little tower block that we're constantly building. And from the relationship patterns that we develop with our families, it's almost like that becomes a blueprint blueprint, um, for how we relate. So we're looking to this blueprint of our life, our early life, to find out how do we go forward in relationships. So when we're in school, we might find people that we have things in common with. So you often see young girls maybe going to the other young girls who maybe are in dance class together or they go to gymnastics together or boys tend to hang out with people on their football team. And then as we get older, these people just we just morph into friendships and they just become friends for life. Some of them fall away We might reconnect them when we go to college. So we're constantly in relationship with people. Sometimes we tend to forget the relationship that we have with ourselves. And we tend to look outside to other people for how we are inside. And how people validate us usually becomes our inner voice. And again, this goes back to our parents So when we're babies, our parent is our voice, our parent is our critic, our parent is our champion, our parent helps us when we fall down. So our parent's voice for us becomes our internal voice. So that's usually where we get our self-esteem from. So it's all very, it's built in the developing years and then it just becomes more of a terror block. As I said, we're building on that as we get a bit older. When we are going out into the world to look for people that we relate to, all we know at that stage is how our families have related to us. Looking for a potential partner, we might. So there's this whole phenomena that young girls look to marry somebody who's very like their daddy and young boys look to marry somebody who's very like their mommies. So that's not... You know, that's not uncommon. We do tend to look for people that we find familiar traits in. So if your dad was on the local GAA team, if he was a dub supporter, you would tend to be going out looking for somebody maybe who plays the same sport, maybe supports the same team. You may decide that you want to do the total opposite and not do that at all. So it's influencing us all of the time. Sometimes where people tend to end up in trouble with relationships is when patterns that we have become unhealthy or maladaptive. So maladaptive just means that they're not working anymore. So we're engaging in maladaptive coping strategies or maladaptive relating patterns. And that's usually when people end up in therapy or couples therapy or people decide to separate because what they're doing is just not working anymore. So some of the ways that we might engage in unhealthy relating patterns is looking at maybe the expectations that we have of the other person. So when young girls are learning about relationships, unfortunately Society sets them up to be looking for somebody who is going to take care of them, and it's this kind of fantasy based story of needing a knight in shining armor. So, when we look at movies, it's always usually the girl is in distress, and there's like a prince charming that saves her, or a, a, a kiss from a prince that's going to unlock this spell, and she'll be free. And then boys are taught that they have to be the one that is the hero. They have to save the girl. So young girls and boys are kind of being fed this script from a really young age. And that's not necessarily true. You know, young young girls don't necessarily have to believe that they need to be saved. And young boys don't necessarily have to believe that they have to save somebody else. And what happens is when we get older we tend to think of I'm looking for my other half or I'm looking for the person who's going to complete me or I'm looking for the one and sometimes these can be kind of like red flags because there is no one there's another person but they can't be the one to meet every need that you have and unfortunately this is setting us up for failure really because when we go out into the world we don't really throw ourselves or all our needs onto somebody else and expect them to be able to meet all those needs. And when we do that we're setting ourselves up for a massive fall. So that kind of love is not really what two adults would have for each other, It's us- that kind of love is a dependent love that a child has. For their parent. So when we're going out looking for a potential partner for life, going out with this expectation that this person is going to be all things to me, they're going to meet all my needs, they're going to rescue me, they're going to be the one to make me happy. And the only way that's going to end in is failure and disaster and major disappointment because, unfortunately, no one person can meet all our needs. When this happens, we end up being really disappointed and we might end up resenting the person or thinking the person doesn't love us. But they do, it's just the way they show us might be different than how we expected them to show us. So what what happens... When we go out looking for a potential partner, what are we, what lens are we looking through? So even if, I mean, you can take this as a friendship or a love relationship, whatever it is, I suppose it could apply to all areas. The romantic love piece is what I was talking about when I said about, you know, young girls and boys being set up. But the relationship piece is is universal for all relationships. I suppose if you were getting into a friendship and you expected this one person that you were becoming friends with to meet all your needs. It would be the same thing. You would be setting yourself up for failure. And that person is probably going to run a mile away because they will be thinking this person is so needy. And sometimes neediness is seen as such a bad thing when being needy and having needs have got so messed up mixed up and people have all different views of what neediness is but neediness is not necessarily a bad thing it's it's more about having needs and how do I go and get these needs met and this kind of brings me back to the relationship that we have with ourselves if you know what you're it's almost like you have to know who you are out of a relationship Before you can actually find out what you're like in relationship. And again it it almost comes back to our conditioning in some way. And it's not necessarily our conditioning at home. It's a societal conditioning and it's the whole Walt Disneyization of everything. You know girls need to be saved and boys need to be the hero. But if you can be your own hero and, and have some time for yourself before you actually enter into a relationship the chances are you're going to have more of an an awareness of who you are as a person and what you like and then you can make an informed choice and decision on your partner that you choose. So the idea of going out and finding that one person that's going to meet all your needs is a bad idea. It's not going to work. Having a good solid relationship with yourself where you're able to meet your own needs and be there for yourself before you go looking for anybody else. So, as I said earlier on, it's this whole idea of another half. And again, it's like somewhere along the way, society has given us a script that we are half of a person and we need to find out what our half to complete us. And again, this is not necessarily true. Because why would anybody settle for being half of a person? If you have this idea or this notion that you're half of a person, then you'll always be looking for the other half to fill you. A more healthy way of looking at it is that you are a whole being and that you can find somebody else who is also a whole being and you can be two whole beings together. And this person is able to look after their needs and you're able to look after your own and you can, you know, you can meet each other's needs along the way as well. But this person's not responsible for meeting your needs, nor are you responsible for meeting theirs. So there's different ways of relating. So there's independence, which is being able to manage on your own. And most people are independent. They can meet their own needs. They have their own money. They manage their own banking. So that's independence. And then there's interdependence. and interdependence is what we would always aim for when we're heading into a relationship. So interdependence is you can meet the other person's needs at the odd time. They can meet your needs. You can both meet halfway. you can you know pull away from each other if you need to, so the other person can go off and do their thing at the weekend if they have a hobby that they need to nurture or if they're in a group that they need to be with you can go off and do your things so spend time with your friends nurture your needs and then you can come back together and be interdependent so being interdependent is that you flow together in each other's lives and there's no kind of like static cling you're not clinging to each other for to meet each other's needs you're just kind of flowing with the flow of each other's lives and then there's codependence. So codependence goes hand in hand with enmeshment. So you're enmeshed in the other person. And codependence is something that we don't really want to strive for. So codependence usually looks a little bit something like you look to your partner to decide what mood they're in before you decide how you are. So if your partner's in a bad mood, being codependent would mean that you're going to be in a bad mood. If they're having a bad day, that means you're having a bad day. If your partner is happy, that means you're happy. So being codependent would be on the more kind of unhealthy way of relating um, side of relationships. So you want to be in between codependence and independence and somewhere around interdependence. Being able to flow in and out of each other's lives Not having a huge dependency on each other, but also being able to fully enjoy each other's lives, meet each other's needs, enjoy each other's company, but have your own lives separate as well. So when I say have your own lives separate, I mean being able to go off and nurture your needs and nurture your hobbies and your wants. So as I said, if you have a sport, going off and playing your sport, if you're part of a club, being able to go off and do that and then coming back together. Another way that people tend to run into problems is how we argue. So how we argue is really important in relationships because how we argue is going to determine how we make up. And how we make up is going to determine the quality of our relationships. When people argue, that's usually when people tend to fall into unhealthy behaviour patterns. So some of the traits of maybe unhealthy behaviour arguments is things like the silent treatment, things like bringing stuff up from the past, holding on to resentments, all that kind of stuff. So there's a saying and it, it goes a little something like don't bring yesterday's resentments into today. So if you've had an argument with your partner today and you've decided to put it to bed before you go to sleep and you don't want to sleep on an argument and you've resolved it both partners have got to both parties have got to say their piece when you wake up the next day it's left in yesterday it's not brought into tomorrow but sometimes couples and friends friends also do this a month's time down the line, if there's an argument, they bring up the past. And that's not really healthy because the past kind of stays in the past. So trying to leave yesterday, yesterday's arguments and resentments in yesterday. And that's going to be really good and healthy for your relationship. Another thing is giving conditionally. So when we give to somebody, it's a good gauge to check with yourself why are you doing it so what is your motivation behind doing something for somebody particularly with a partner so are you doing it because you feel under a compliment are you doing it because you feel guilty are you doing it because it's an exchange and you know there'll be something else for you or are you doing it on the condition that something will happen and conditional giving sometimes can bring us into sticky territory because It's almost like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And what can happen is you build up these kind of, I suppose they're almost like resentments, or you have this bank of, well, I did that for you two weeks ago, so you have to do this for me today. And it's really important that both people in relationships are allowed to say, no, I can't do that. And having boundaries around how much you can give and how much you can take. So maybe just checking what's your motivation behind doing something for your partner. So if your partner needs you to drive them to the airport, are you doing that? Because you know next week you're going away for work and they'll mind the children. And if they can't mind the children, then do you say something like, I drove you to the airport two weeks ago. You have to do this for me today. Or do you say something like, that's fine. You know, I'll I'll figure out something else. You enjoy your holiday and I'll see you when you get back and letting it be. Or do you pick up a resentment and think, well, I'm not doing anything for them now because I dropped them to the airport two weeks ago and now they can't mind the kids. So I'm not doing that for them anymore. That's usually an indication that when you're giving, it's conditionally done. And there's conditions around your giving. I will do this for you if you do this for me. And what happens is, that might be okay for a while, but when one person has to say no, it's how the other person reacts. So there's mutual exchange, and again, it's kind of like the interdependence thing that would come under interdependence. Is mutually exchanging things, but also having the ability to respect somebody else's boundary when they can't do something, and not punishing them for it. So punishing might look like the silent treatment. So... Silent treatment is a trait of unhealthy, toxic relationships. So if you're punishing your partner by being silent to them, then that's kind of an indication that you've stepped into maybe unhealthy relating patterns. And I suppose the way to remedy silent treatment is to catch Catch it before it becomes bigger because silent treatment can go on for a long time. And it is a way to punish somebody but it's not a nice or healthy way to react. I suppose the best way in those situations is just to nip it in the bud and for two people to sit down and to be able to bring to the table this is how I felt, sorry that I messed up, didn't realise that what I was doing was hurting you and the other person being able to bring their piece to the table. Yeah, what you said was hurt and hurtful. I hear you apologising, so can we just leave it here now and move on? And again, it's not about in two weeks' time saying, well, two weeks ago and dragging up the past because you're entering into a vicious cycle of relating and that's not going to be good for anybody. So I think they're the, the key points that I wanted to address or I wanted to talk about in this podcast. I hope that that has been helpful for some people and I think the how we relate is not just about the romantic relationship piece so this could be applied to friendships and as I said I'm not an expert it's just what I know it's just what I know from my work and it's what I know from you know being in this area of work over the past few years and it's what has been helpful for me with my own friendships and relationships and sometimes we don't know these things until we might hear about it or we read about it in a book but there's always time for change there's always time to start again and try something different so it might be worth to just check and see how you relate can you relate to any of the stuff that I talked about is it helpful so if you've heard this I would love to hear some feedback The way you can do that is to head over to the Girl Squad page and send me a message and let me know if this was helpful or not. Because at the moment this is just a trial. I'm not sure if this is something that people who follow me are interested in or not. It was a suggestion and I decided I would do five episodes and in the fifth I'll do a review. And if people want me to continue talking about stuff like this, well then I'll invest more time in it. But as I said, it's only a trial And these are the topics that people are asking me to just give insights on. So thanks for listening and I will look forward to next week for episode number three.